Hello, everyone. Thursday, February 23. Yeah, I got that right. Um, great Roman store. Dave Nikoski, who's uh, no stranger to these rooms. Longtime uh, shrewd observer of markets. Proprietor of uh, Vermilion Research. Will be uh, with us today, sharing his wisdom. And we're at a crossroads in markets, so... Thought it was a very timely, um, very time, timely for Dave to uh, be willing to speak. Uh, before we get started, uh, as is our custom, quickly this day in history. Um, I really like looking this stuff up in preparation for these rooms. It's it's reminds me of how much I've I've forgotten. Um, 1836. During the Texas War for Independence, uh, Mexico began a siege of the Alamo which was captured just after 13 days and for Texans became a symbol of heroic resistance. 1836, my gosh, the Alamo, siege of the Alamo begins. 1868, President Andrew Johnson was impeached. The House of Representatives voted 126 to 47 to impeach President Johnson, whose lenient reconstructionist policies regarding the South after the Civil War angered radical Republicans in Congress. And then finally, on a different note, uh, in 1955, the co-founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, was born. 1955. So I guess what, that would make him 68 today if he was still alive. So with that, let's get to the matter at hand. Dave, good to, uh, good to see you. How you been? Hey, great to be here, George. I'm I'm doing good. We're going to be bailing out of a pretty heavy snowstorm here uh, after tonight, so I'll I'll have better news for you tomorrow on how I how I'm doing. There you so. go. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, what is what is going on up there? I, I get wait, I got to be careful here. I, I know it's uh, Wisconsin, Green Bay Packers, the legendary frozen tundra, but yeah, fro- frozen tundra up there. Anyway, what's uh, how how's the winter gone this year? Has it been relatively mild, or you got a lot of snow? What, what's the weather been like? We we had uh, quite a bit of snow earlier in the year, and then it uh, somewhat dissipated for you know a good month and a half or so, where we didn't get anything. And um, I know Minneapolis got hit you know really hard, twenty plus inches in many parts of the uh, you know Twin Cities there. Um, we are not expected to get that much. We're probably going to be looking at close to, you know, anywhere from nine to 12 inches. Not here. that much spoken as a true Minnesota. For those of us elsewhere, I think we would view nine to 12 inches as a fair bit. At any rate, uh, let's get, let's get on with it. Um, a lot of interesting things going on in the market. I know, uh, you spoke in the space the other day, um, but the floor is yours and maybe just give your sort of overview and sort of what are your most closely held convictions. So take it away, Dave. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our view is, is that we'd come up into that, you know, 4165 area and pause for, at a minimum. Um, you know, I, I think my views going forward, I've shared on a number of spaces, you know, what would make me, you know, and, and as I tell rooms often, I'm, I'm neither bold nor bare. I look for opportunities where they exist in terms of, you know, within sectors, in terms of groups and individual stocks, I look at the market from a top-down and a bottom-up basis. Um, you know, there's there's been much to do in the market. It's not you know as bad as is is what we would think it lo- should look like at this part of the cycle by any means. Um, however, you know, 
the process of going through a business cycle is not such that you can just wake up one day and say, hey, we're going into a recession. Let's all bet on the recession. Um, you know, I'm surprised that, you know, the Fed has raised this much and we're still, you know, coming up and making up terms like no landing. And, you know, it's the business cycle is what the business cycle is. It, it repeats after time. And until we start getting bankruptcies and companies going away, that's the normal business cycle. Um, you know, so w without, you know, pointing to we are going into recession or not, you know, I, I'm finding opportunity out there. Uh, I, I think the, the market and the cross currents that we're seeing right now is making it that much more difficult um, in, in terms of looking at what, you know, interest rate hikes are going to look like, you know, bond markets are telling us something different than the equity markets are. And, uh, you know, that, that can only go on for so long. I think we, we are in a period where, you know, we have a generation of investors that don't know what a business cycle looks like. So any company that lowers guidance and then beats that lowered guidance, it's, you know, euphoria, it's, you know, it's, um, uh, it's it's like they don't want to let it die. They just want to you know continue uh, marching on like it's Mardi Gras. Um, you know, looking at the overall market, there's three things that I'm weighing. You know, my decisions on when I'm you know coming up with you know just a few things for the average investor to look at, and that's high yield you know bond spreads, um, which which have been moving up here. I, I won't get the the reading until tonight after my system updates the prices, but just, you know, over the last, you know, six days we're, we're, we've seen that spike up and break a downtrend, which, which to me would suggest that it could go higher. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to watch how bonds do over the next, you know, week or two. Um, the other, you know, uh, item. So I had three items. One, that was the first one. The second one would be how the banks look technically to me. And, you know, I've, notated in the past uh, several months that KRE came back to a support level, bounced off of it, um, started to reverse the downtrend, but couldn't quite clear the last hurdle, which was the former high. Um, you know, it, it's pulling back to the 200 day, it dipped through it earlier today and then reversed back up above it. So I'm looking at the banks. Um, I've never seen a good market with the banks, you know, uh, tumbling or hitting 26 week price and relative strength low. So that's, that's a great, you know, area to watch because I think that's going to tell you what the lending market is doing. And if we don't have lending, that is how everything runs. It's credit. Um, so if we, if we see those that tighten, I think that that would be um, very detrimental to the market. The third thing is what are small caps doing versus large caps? Um, right now, the, uh, you know, this, I look at the Russell 2000 and the microcaps, the IWC is a, a good proxy and IWM. Um, you know, we're, we're just marching sideways. So it's, it's, it's not such that I can say small caps are leading distinctively versus the large caps or that they're breaking down. They're just, you know, moving sideways together on a relative basis. So, you know, I, I need to see that march above and start taking over leadership because I don't, I don't, recall a market, you know, where small caps didn't lead coming out. So I think there's a great deal of euphoria that, you know, small caps are leading or not breaking down. You know, again, we could be in a sideways market. And I think the, the typical investor, you know, looks at everything as being up or down. And I, I, I think it's going to be more sideways and more U-shaped. 
um, in duration. I think rates are going to stay higher longer. Uh, I think that you know, based upon what the market is doing and how the tape action looks, and I don't know if it's an ODTE type of thing, but it would seem like the Fed could raise 100 basis points and this market wouldn't go down. Yeah, yeah, Dave, you know? on, on that point, have you been surprised? I certainly have, and you know, everyone's aware I haven't done particularly well of late, but uh, I, I've been surprised that the market's been so resilient in the face of uh, significant increase in interest rates up and down the curve. Have you, what's your view of that? Are you similarly surprised, or is that, or does that tell you the market, is that indicative, indicative of uh, something else going on, some, some underlying strength? Well, I, I think it, it denotes that, you know, we've had years and years of, you know, z- zero interest rate policy. And I think that it's pushed liquidity and savings up considerably. And I, I don't want I don't look at a savings chart, but, you know, for this market to hold up under the pressures that are being exerted on it, um, I, I think it's very unusual, re- you know, relative to history. Um, you know, what what is different is is you know, we're not seeing job losses like we've seen in other cycles. And I, I do believe that we will get job losses and that's where the Fed needs to push us. Um, and again, that's through time. And, you know, me, me calling it today, someone's going to come up to me, you know, two months later, say you were wrong. You know, I, I see so many people come into the Twitter rooms and if someone comes up with a prognosis of what the market was going to look like, you know, a year ago, you know, you get belittled, you get shot down and, you know, it doesn't mean they're wrong. They're just saying what their longer term picture is and the process will play out over time. And again, you know, that is the only thing that ever heals a bear market. And arguably you could, we could discuss whether we're in a bear market or not, right. Based upon the tape, you know, you wouldn't notice a bear market considering that, you know, we had the biggest bear market in bonds that we've ever seen ever. Um, so, you know, arguably the, the equity markets have held up very well can, you know, relative to what we see in bonds. Yeah. I, I, um, I've been reading up on that and some were suggesting that as opposed to last year where you had, uh, rising interest rates with, uh, growth expectations flat to down that this year growth expectations, uh, certainly outside the United States, specifically Europe. Uh, because you know, largely because the energy costs have come down significantly, and also China with the reopening, some are making the argument that um, equities can withstand higher rates more readily uh, if growth expectations are increasing. And so, I don't know, kind of made sense, but what do I know? Um, Dave, let me ask you this: I, I've been pouring through charts myself, trying to find things you know, go long or short, whatever. And I saw a really interesting. Um, I'm trying to find it here. Really interesting chart today uh, from Jim Bianco. And maybe you've seen some version of this or you have it yourself. But essentially, um, and this was, I think, as of yeah, as of yesterday, um, the 22nd, uh, I believe the market was up. See if I got this right here. Um, uh, you, you've got eight stocks, um, FANG uh, plus MNT, Microsoft. Well, I don't know what it is. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, the usual suspects. You have eight stocks, which accounted for um, 3.1 of the 3.8% year-to-date return, or eight stocks accounting basically for 80% of the market return, uh, suggesting this is in the S&P 500, and therefore the other 492 stocks 
not doing a whole heck of a lot. Um, and so the action's really been kind of concentrated. Does that square with your observations? Absolutely. And, you know, again, there, there are individual stocks that are doing much better than what the indexes w- would suggest. You know, um, take, for example, you know, I, I've been bullish of the tanker stock since last year. And I, I've thrown the, you know, the tanker stock that of our group work up on, you know, my profile a number of times and discussed them. Um, you know, you have like Frontline is breaking out to, you know, a seven-year price and relative strength high. You know, Euronav, TK, NAT. I mean, there's, I, I highlighted engineering and construction stocks and talked about them in, you know, probably August, September time frame. You know, they've had huge, tremendous moves. If you looked at the S. Uh, the S&P Midcap 400 Engineering and Construction Group, you know, it's it's been on fire, hitting all-time highs. And, you know, the, the problem is, is there are names that most people don't know of. You know, it, it, there's a lot under the surface that are doing absolutely terrific. Um, there are more mid-cappy names out there that, are, that look the best. And, you know, the, they have the potential to move into the large-cap arena, right? So it's it's... You know, and I try to tell people, you know, even, you know, as far back as, you know, June and July that, you know, there's a lot of consumer stocks that, you know, when they pulled back looked great. And, you know, my poster child for that was Crocs, you know, moved from 46 up to 135. Um, There's individual stocks. And I think this is a stock picker's market more than anything, rather than a group move but you know when i find the groups i I think it's important to highlight them and indicate that you know if you get in the right group that's 70 percent of of success in terms of being in the right group and so i I like to see group moves much more than i like to see individual stock moves um but again doing it from a top down and a bottom-up approach i i think you weed through them and find those got it so uh, let's talk about groups and sectors. Uh, does anything stand out to you, conspicuously good or bad? Um, you know, banks are probably the most troublesome for me on a relative basis. Um, I don't like to see the banks doing nothing, you know, and they, they pretty much are doing nothing on a relative strength basis. Um, they're, they're underperforming the overall market, but they're not – hitting relative strength lows across the board. Um, I like to see a healthy financial sector um, because it, it, it does reflect, you know, concerns of the market and credit quality, um, uh, how much, you know, credit there is in the system. And, you know, it's going to start reflecting defaults at some point in time. You know, we were discussing on a call yesterday, I think it was a PIMCO deal, um, most of you probably saw this. They defaulted on a loan. I think it was one point seven or one point eight billion dollars. Um, they had purchased the property, I believe, in twenty one March of twenty one for like three point two billion dollars, and it was a number of properties: San Francisco, New Jersey, in uh, a, f- a few other cities. But you know, the the commercial real estate market is you know from listening to a number of calls and seeing research and articles that come across my desk, I, I think that's probably the biggest concern for me. That it doesn't have to be you know like the global financial crisis where you have a ninja type loan, but it, it can happen from within and just the the change in how people are working and working from home versus you know going to the office. You know, it, it's it's not that the owners that purchased those properties 
didn't have good intentions and and didn't pay the right price. But I, I think the whole aspect of how COVID has changed the dynamics and how individuals work from home, I, I don't think anyone could have seen that. That's the black swan event so um, it's, for those people that buy commercial real estate. Dave, if I understand you correctly, it's not the banks are acting so badly. They're just not doing anything. Is that is that fair? I want to make sure I understood what you were saying. Yes, that is okay, correct. Okay, so we can't really say you're bearish in the banks. They're just kind of like neither efficient nor foul. They're neither, neither here nor there. Um, okay. Um, moving on to other sectors. Anything uh, catch your eye? I mean, uh, technology has been performing well. Energy, despite expect, expectations, you know, would, would do well. And I know you were correctly bullish on energy. And I think recently kind of took the flag down on that. So maybe just speak a little bit to uh, your views on uh, technology and, and, and energy. Yeah, you know, we've we've taken down our weighting on energy um, from a relative strength basis. You know, I, I, I often get asked when uh, about that. Is it based on earnings and our expectations of what oil is going to do? I'm a relative strength guy. <laughs> like I I can't tell you what oil prices are going to do. But, you know, when they're when they're bringing down the sector and you're losing relative performance in the names, you know, they can stay cheap for a long time, just like they have. And, you know, the, the question is, is when does the world wake up and realize that paying, you know, 50 or 60 times earnings on a tech company, when it doesn't hit those numbers, then, you know, you're going to want to own the names that are, you know, cash flow positive. Um, you know, in energy, we've been, you know, I, I marked up a chart and it's on my timeline. If you look back in October, for instance, you know, I, I suggested that, you know, moving money into oil service names is a much better place. Um, you know, it's far outperformed the XLE. So OIH versus XLE, you know, you had about a 30% performance variance between OIH and XLE over since October, you know, that's starting to, you know, pull back a little bit. I don't see any tremendous breaks in it, but I would rather be in oil service names over the EMPs. Um, you know, the, the next sector, you know, if you look at materials, I'll just go through some of the sectors and, and hit on some points. Okay, George? Um, you know, steel, a lot of the steel names like commercial metal, steel dynamics, um, and, and a plethora of other word ones, you know, not necessarily saying uh, Cleveland Cliffs or, or U.S. Steel, but, you know, you take Carpenter Technologies has done very well, ATI, Worthington. Um, some of the foreign ones, Turnium, which is, I think that's Argentina, Steel Dynamics, Ryerson, Reliance Steel, and Aluminum. You know, these are in solid bull markets. Um, Tosco to South Korea, Nucor, you know, have done extremely well. And we continue to, to believe that those are, you know, still locked in bull market uptrends. Right. Um Moving uh, along to some yeah. of the other maybe commodity related things, you mentioned steel, but how about um, I don't know copper stocks or uh... copper is still bullish. I, I don't see any any issues in copper. Copper, you know, we, we always look at that as is kind of the you know uh, industrial complex. Um, Manufacturing's held up very well. We upgraded. Industrial manufacturing, I believe it was October 12th of last year. We're still overweight on it. I'm, I'm starting to see, at least on a relative strength basis, some of those pull back in. Um, but overall, we're, we're still overweighted in it. And I continue to like a lot of individual names that, that remain, you know, uh, in, in bullish chart 
formations, big bases, you know, breaking out of bases, that type right. of thing. How about um, related to that um, commodities? What about um, I don't know, the bond market or interest rates? What's, what's that look like to you? Well, we highlighted in in our work that um, you know you you broke those downtrends in the in the longer duration as well as broke out to a you know a new high in the one year uh, and even on the short end and you know I, I think that's what precipitated the market's pullback. You know we were unable to uh, you know decisively push to new highs. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at a a candle chart, you'd see you know high wicks on the upside, and you could never take those those levels out. Um, so I think that bonds are telling us, you know, higher and longer, and we're going to keep getting the, you know, fed futures, um, are going to keep migrating up in in my opinion, especially with what we're seeing in the overall market that we're not seeing what we should expect at this point in the cycle. Got it. Um, we didn't talk about consumer stocks. Um, I know it's a very heterogeneous group any thoughts there yeah it's 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 been an area that we you know had have liked um you know and and i've discussed this on you know uh when you take a look at something like rcd which is the you know consumer discretionary equal weight i mean that's decisively in a bull market so the average stock is doing much better than the large cap and that made it, you know, a low back in June and then made a subsequent low back in October. So you did have a double bottom. Dave, just for everyone at home, yeah. what is that ticker symbol? RCB? Or RCD. RCD. Roger, Charlie, That's the David. equal weight of consumer stock index, okay? That right. is correct. Okay. And so that's, so that's telling you everything is okay, given the way that, that that's been acting. Yeah. It, I mean, you're pulling back to an area of support here because, you know, after you got the retail numbers, you had a, a large pop and have pulled back in. The XRT is, you know, if you if you pulled the XRT or XLY, um, XLY is going to be your consumer discretionary. XRT is going to be your retail stocks. You know, that one's starting to show. um show show a pullback in it um i i think that you know i i would look for individual names in there um versus you know trying to make a call on the whole sector you know you look at something like i like the restaurants but you know i can't make a blanket statement like that because if you looked at Domino's today that's got to be an ugly chart for quite some time and i think it was down 42 dollars today right. you know so it's it, it's very difficult to come out and make a broad-based blanket statement on certain areas within the market um it's much easier to say here's an example of what i'm saying so you know if, if i went through and discussed something like brinkers or um you know there's texas roadhouse wing stop you know they're they're completely different charts than what you would see in dominoes you know brinkers got a great looking chart um Gorgeous space. You're coming up to some resistance, but I don't see that it's an issue. Um, trading at 12 times, you know, sure. it's relatively cheap to the rest Got of the it. market. That, that makes a lot of sense. Hey, let me ask you this. I mean, life is not linear. The opportunity sets expand and contract. Sometimes, uh, to use the baseball analogy, Mr. Market's giving you a lot of pitches to hit. Other times, not so much. Um, how would you characterize the opportunity set right now? 
you know, as a, you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm a technician and I, I can say, Hey, this trend is intact and it's not intact, you know, but I also believe that valuations play an important role. I think uh, fundamental analysts make the charts for me. Okay. Um, and even if someone's bearish and you get a good bullish chart, you know, it's a, it's a good sign to, you know, dig into the fundamental story and see where the analyst may be wrong. Um, so I, I like, I like when they both match and I, I guess my opinion is typically technicals will turn. I will be able to call tops and bottoms faster than the fundamental analyst. In my opinion, that's my experience of doing this for 36 years, right? When selling stops, that is what makes a bottom. It's not necessarily that the fundamentals have changed. It may be discounting something in the future that uh, many fundamental analysts may not pick up. So I, I guess I, I'm going to adhere to the charts look great. I'm fearful that we haven't completed the business cycle. We haven't seen defaults. We haven't seen um, job layoffs increase. I think the Fed's on a one-way trip to get to do that. Despite their dual mandate, they have to drop one of them to get the other one in control. And I think that is the, the path that we are going. Got it. Um, are you, um, okay, so here we go. Uh, ho hold on. We have someone who, uh, okay. Excellent. Hey, Carpathia. Well, welcome. Uh, good to see you. I was going to ask another question, but I want to, I don't want to monopolize things. So good to see you, Carpathia. What's on you? Well, I mean, I, you invite, I mean, I don't really have much to say. You know, Dave is pretty accurately describing this. You know, I have my little world in my family office and uh, my little reach and um, you know I was uh, I think it's really easy to make a mistake here and I think Dave said this uh, you know the conflict between the bond market and the equity markets it's it's like the equity markets don't want to acknowledge that there's now a hurdle rate and in my little world three people in the last two weeks who I talked to prospects some clients unsolicited said you know hey i'm thinking about going 50 percent to a four and a half percent yield what would you recommend you know i'm 66 got a couple million bucks so it's seeping into you know that dynamic out there you know i know the institutions and the systematic passive that i always say dominate but I believe it's starting to sink, sink in to the general Ma and Pa investor a little bit. I was telling the spaces last night, I've been cheating a little bit on some of these go-go uh, uh, space calls that I was run off in 2021. And I was publishing, as you know, George, I was like, okay, as we go through 21, everybody, you know, take a little more off the table, take a little more off the table on risk management. And then, you know, in early 22, like, you know, hit the, hit the fire alarm, get out, you know, heavy percentages. So I was listening to that call and they're talking about buying dividends and what they consider safe and, you know, buy Google because we know it's going to go back to the high. And in three years, you're going to get 20% uh, a year. So it, it is, you know, uh, it's not, it's totally just incidental, but 
the tones changed a little bit. People have had their knuckles wrapped a little bit, but they haven't really given up. So I think we're at the mercy of this psychology that's beaten everybody over the head, not the institutions, you know, but beating them over the head. If you change your strategy, you're going to really screw up. And that is like the equity market, the poster child of the equity market saying, well, don't look, don't look over there. Don't look over there. Just walk on by, you know, don't look at that 5% yielder that won't go down and protect you. But um, I think that's the stress in the market. I put a piece out today to my private group. I said, you know, Walt Deemer is really good. You know, the BAM, the momentum index, they, you know, it has a high record. And we got to respect that, but we also have to respect the business cycle that Vermilion, uh, that Dave's talk, sorry, Dave, uh, that Dave's talking about. So what we've elected to do, what I've elected to do is we're going to play it safe. We're going to keep high cash balances. We're going to keep our, our little squirrely out of the way securities and ETFs. We're going to have a high position in precious metals, which has been down and straight down for, you know, five weeks, but um, we're going to, we're going to wait for the Copic, that Copic, the Copic guide to turn and, and just play it safe and see what we do right here as, uh, you know, as the next two quarters come in, I, I think higher for longer. And I think we're just going to have to ride this thing and see, see if those job losses, who was it there? He's on this call. Somebody was like, he's on the call, uh, today, but he was saying, uh, making a theory that we're not going to even get close to the pivot button until you see, was it, you know, two job negative job losses or six figure negative job losses global. Maybe you could jump up and global macro and, and, and fix. If that happens, it's going to be this, it's going to be this giant tug of war. And, you know, that's, that's the way I'm setting up for, I think there's, I think it's easier to make a mistake and I'd much rather, you know, sniper shoot some of Dave's ideas and some of my ideas and just, you know, go that way. So that's, that's my two cents. I think, I think people have gotten a little bit of religion, but um, they're, they're running to what the textbook says, okay, I want dividends and I'm going to get dividends. I'm going to be safe now, but you know, maybe when 25% of the market going up is those seven, eight names, Maybe that's not the place to go. So that's the only thing I have. I wasn't really prepared to speak, but that's great. Spot, I can come up with something. Yeah, I appreciate Carpathia. It's uh, very thought provoking. Um, okay, let's move over now to Surio uh, Japan. Uh, good to see you. How you been? What's on your mind? Hi. Thank you for letting me speak. Just a very short comment. I'm a moderator at a very small site, like 200 people, I guess, and. We are mostly students and very, very small young investors. The thing is that we are discussing bonds now and yields. We never did it before. And the majority of people in this forum have been in MEM stocks and most popular stocks. And they are now looking into bonds and yields and safer things. So that does it tell you anything about changing psychology or not? Thank you. That's really interesting. Really interesting. I think it gets to Carpathia's point about once you get wrapped on the knuckles, it has a way of changing, uh, changing one's outlook. Um, 
So yeah, no, that's that's a really interesting observation. Uh, th- th- that's th- thanks for that. That's great. Okay, let's go over now to uh, Liberty. Liberty, uh, floor is yours. What's up? I don't know. I've lost the matrix. I can't hear us. So Dave, um, hopefully Liberty will speak up at some point. So Dave, as you speak to um, clients, a lot of times uh, one can uh, form conclusions or from discussions with with clients and interesting observations, not just what's asked, but sometimes it's more interesting what's not asked. Um, How would you describe the investor mindset right now, Dave? I I would say it's it's a lot of confusion. You know, uh, a lot of people think it's, you know, very fast sector rotations. I mean, you know, historically you get into um, periods where a sector can lead for a long period of time, like, you know, energy led for, you know, a year, Uh, actually almost two years. If you went back to January of 20, um, that's when we came out with our secular bull call on energy and uh, I'm going to have to say I, I don't think that that's necessarily over. I think we're suffering a cyclical correction in a secular bull um, in it. and But we have to pull back, you know, when we see relative strength changes. And so, you know, even looking, you know, at commodities today, you know, I would say most of them are bottoming um, when it comes to the metals. Um, you're seeing, you know, the bulk tankers, um, I threw a chart of C bulk today on my timeline and, you know, I have a list of them. I only throw out a couple and, you know, share, share everything with my clients, of course. But, you know, when you, when you look at something like that, you know, and you're breaking out of a, a base and, you know, everyone's paying attention to NVIDIA today, you know, it's, they want to go to the shiny object and sometimes going to the shiny object is that it's shiny one day and it's not shiny the next day. And I, I think, you know, if you're, unless you're a day trader, um, and can jump in and out, that's great. But I also think that these ODT options are screwing, you know, the market up from actually going through the cycle because they're just buying at the bottom of the range. They'll play it to the top. And I, 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 I can't quantify it, but the market is not, in my opinion, behaving in a manner that I've seen, you know, throughout history. Um, but, you know, I, I put up a chart um, and threw it on my timeline today as well. Sorry, I keep saying things like that, but you know, Midwest uh, hot rolled cold steel was up 22%. I don't know if it switched to a new contract today, but that's a pretty big move in, in a metal in one day. Um, I, I not You can look at the chart. You won't see many moves like wow. that. Wow. So is, that, is, that, is that updated regularly? That's, that's an extraordinary move. Yes, it's, it's updated regularly, but it's up 22.24% wow. today. Yeah, I didn't hear anyone talk about it, but, you know, I, I think it was a contract role. And I think Cleveland Cliffs came out, you know, last week or two weeks ago, said they were increasing their prices. But, you know, I, I think that you know, when it comes to shipping, you know, especially with what's happened to Russia, you're seeing, you know, Russia purchase a lot of tankers um, to get their own crude out there since they, no one can insure them. So you, you have this, you know, so many countries import raw materials you've changed all the supply lines and you're shipping longer distances as well. So, you know, that's, that's part of the prospect as well as, you know, I think through this last downturn from, you know, 19 through uh, the end of 20, you know, there was, I think 300 tankers that were sold for scrap steel. And, it, you know, I, I create the analogy, you know, if you look back at that 98 to 2002 period, there was 500 tankers that were sold for scrap steel and you went into a secular bull market and tankers, 
you know, from 2000, end of 2002 to 2009. Um, you know, it takes years to build these ships and most of the shipyards don't want to build them because they got screwed on the last, you know, major cycle where they all of a sudden, no one wanted to take delivery at the top. Um, so they got stuck with these ships and they literally cut them right, right apart after building them because the companies were, you know, seeing day rates drop. So I think that's a longer cycle. Um, but you know, that's the one area that I, I see and I'm not trying to push it because I own it or don't own it. Uh, it just, it's something I've been highlighting for a while. Again, um, just to remind everyone, it's not investment advice. This is just, this is just exactly. Dave sharing, sharing yeah. his two cents. By the way, um, since you brought it up, the shiny object du jour, uh, NVIDIA, uh, what does NVIDIA look like to you? I, I mean, it's, it, it actually, I'm going to say it, it somewhat surprised me um, because all indications on the chart were, you know, that you were starting to roll over. Um, you started taking out, you know, some minor support levels. Um, you gapped up. Now you got this big open gap and you're above, you know, a resistance level. Um, so in, in, you know, from a technical standpoint, it's, it's very intriguing. I, I just can't pay $25 for eight cent beat on lowered guidance that, you know, that, that had been lowered previously. Um, but it's intriguing. And they said, uh, what AI, I guess you can say AI, we should talk about AI in this room. It might fill up and we might break Twitter if we do that. But, um, it, it seems that's the you know, the new buzzword, kind of like the inner, you know, dot com, adding dot com to your name in 1999. Um, that's what it feels like. Um, but hey, Dave, I forgot so. to mention I'm, I'm AI adding to the Carpathia. So just for everyone, that, oh, yeah. yeah, we're going to add AI. <laughs> that's great. I think about changing our company name to AI as go. well. All right. So we've got three, three folks wanting to speak. Um, I'm going to go to Michael first because he was up then he dropped off. We're going to do Michael, McCarter, and then Liberty. Michael, good to see you. What's on your mind? Great to see you, George. Uh, as usual, it's an amazing space. I learned so much from these spaces that you held. We're very lucky to have you. A um, couple of things. Firstly, NVIDIA. Um, how correlated chart-wise is it to the movement in Bitcoin? Because that's basically... The chips and everything that are needed to move that um, that would be my first question so I, I guess I guess you're you're wondering how uh, uh, about the relationship and the correlation between Nvidia and uh, Bitcoin so exactly yeah so Dave I don't know gyration you know Dave you you have a view on Bitcoin and do you have any thoughts about the correlation question well you know, technically, Bitcoin looks attractive I don't like to talk about Bitcoin I don't get it but um, I mean, if you, if you took a, a Bitcoin and ran NVIDIA against it, you know, the, I would tell you, um, hands down, NVIDIA has been beating the hell out of Bitcoin. I mean, just in the last year, um, NVIDIA is up 41% relative to Bitcoin. That's, that's good stuff. Um... Yeah. And I brought this up in a room yesterday, you know, as much attention that's paid to Tesla, here's, here's. You know, in, in it, some of you that might have been in that room yesterday may have heard this. But if I asked you, what has outperformed between these two stocks since January of 21? Tesla or Stellantis? Mm -hmm. How many think it's Tesla? <laughs> of course. Yeah. We all would say it's Tesla. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Stellantis is up 50% relative to Tesla since wow. that time. This period. is what, from the beginning of 21, you're saying? Um, I, I want to say it's, uh, it's from, hold on. I, I've got to pull the chart back up. Um, I just, I just erased it. Um, this is from the beginning of 21. Wow. That's a- Stellantis is up 50% relative wise. You would have been better off buying Stellantis in 21. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? So- Exactly. So, David, my second question, I appreciate, uh, you know, is the structure of the dollar because, look, I was short in sub, I was short subprime in 27 and getting my ass kicked for most of my 2006 to 2007, getting my ass kicked. And then finally, really everything was correlated to currency exchanges Uh, as the yen strengthened. Um, things completely fell apart. And right now, um, uh, if the yen weakens and the dollar strengthens, uh, things seem to fall apart tick for tick. So I've, I, I don't know, from my own TA, I've seen that the dollar has actually broken out here, which to me is eerily reminiscent of what happened in 2000, 2007, where everything was currency related so um have you done work on the dollar yes and um you know i we we changed our position we were we did call a dollar top and it was literally like the day of or the day after and i'm pretty sure it's on my timeline um the my my biggest fear here is you know looking at the 2000 bubble and and i don't know how this is going to play out but I, i i pose this and ask you know my own clients this question is you know after 2000 um you know the the dollar strengthened in the in the internet bubble um and it finally broke its uptrend in april of 2002 realize that you know mm-hmm. from the end of march of 2000 up through april of 2002 if you bought any old economy or value stock you far outperformed the market mm-hmm. right there was a um, in there. April 2002, we put a piece out that um, would that we believed that we'd see a huge repatriation um, away from the dollar when it was breaking the uptrend because it was you know vertical, it's very eerily similar to what we've seen here. And through that repatriation process of April 12th, if you look back at the S and P 500 or any index in the U.S., we absolutely went straight down. We did a triple bottom. Um, all the way up to December. And that's when the emerging markets started accelerating. That was the boom in, um, you know, on a quiet night back in the early 2003, you could hear a sucking sound from the East. That was China sucking up everything. Um, Low commodity prices. So, you know, my fear is, is that we could have that put upon us again, um, a repatriation. We're seeing... I mean, we've been seeing that repatriation. We've been seeing Japan selling the dollar. We've been seeing China selling treasury, um, Japan selling treasuries and China. You know, you. I, I think there is a move to repatriate funds back to, you know, their home country. So are you constructive on the dollar or not? I'm constructive on the dollar right now, but I'm fearful that we could, we're just going to suffer a bear market rally 
with another subsequent decline. But would in that do, in itself, would you say that will, it's correlated though that if the dollar starts to gain strength and let's say it breaks out and hits one oh six, it's going to cause incredible havoc in the stock market, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Got it. Um, appreciate your time. I, I I love these spaces, George. You it's. You should charge twenty dollars. We'll, we'll see. Um, but but so Dave, Dave, just run with that a little bit though. Building on what Michael was saying, um, I remember uh, from way back when. I think it was somebody Stan Druckenmiller told me once. But you know, if you have a rising dot, well, actually, I'll take it back. It's pre Stan Druckenmiller. I want to go back to Japan, the eighties. That you know, you had the so-called triple merit scenario. You had uh, falling interest rates. A rising yen, which kept capital bottled up in Japan, uh, and you had um, uh, and, and falling oil prices. So right now, if you if you think oil is sort of bottoming or flat to up, you think the dollar at least for now is going up. You think rates are going up. I mean, not to ask a leading question, but but you know what the question is like. It doesn't sound like a, a very positive uh, constellation of uh, factors. I I think that. What we have now is eerily similar to 87 when yields were rising. There was a huge disconnect with the equity markets and the bond market. And it plays out one way. It, it plays out That's one way. That's a happy way. thought. That's a happy <laughs> uh, and I'm not trying, you know, I'm, anyone that no, has known me in my career, I'm typically a bull. I mean, I always find something to do. I, I'm saying this is a proposition. I don't know how it's going to end up, but there's very, you know, very similar aspects to post 2000 bubble, you know, two, two years out um, in 2002, April um, and 87, you had yields rising. The equity markets were untouched and you walked in one day mm-hmm. and everything was gone. Right. You know, and I'm not saying we're going to get there, but, you know, there's, and I don't, usually there's an event that, that creates it. And, you know, for example, and I've discussed this many times, you know, most people don't know what pricked the 2000 bubble in March. And that was Tony Blair and um, Bill Clinton were at a podium in London the day of the top. And we put a piece out on it and said, if it can happen to biotech, it can happen to tech. That was the day of the top in the NASDAQ. Okay. And that was human genome sciences had just decoded the human genome and they, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair both suggested that that information should be shared freely with all healthcare companies. So every private investor would have been screwed that helped fund the decoding of the human genome that would have been done in a few months from then. But that was the very top, the day of, and it happened within minutes after that. Yeah, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. In particular, I, particular, I was at the Morgan Stanley Tech and Telco Conference in uh, Midtown Manhattan. It was NASDAQ 5000, and the market started down. It was down, I don't know, two, 300 points one day, and no one knew why. But that was, a, you know, you, you like to think when markets are similar, but also how they are different. At that point, there was the IPO activity was so uh, outrageous, the amount of supply of paper, it was, it was just extraordinary. And the thing is, when, when, when things get really overvalued and overcooked, Wall Street has an, you know, an infinite ability to manufacture more paper. And the supply just sort of had the thing collapse on itself. So, yeah, but we, we don't have that dynamic. It's similar, but it's also interesting. Well, we got spats. Yeah, that, right? but that's, 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 you know, that's, 
a couple of years ago. So, yeah. So it's always interesting. You know, they say history rhymes, doesn't repeat itself. And so it's, it's fascinating point that you make, David. Appreciate that. All right. Let's move over to uh, the Carter. Good to see you, the Carter. What's up, man? Haven't talked to you for a while. Hey, George. How are you? All right. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I would go back to a space you did in, I think, I don't know if it was the Christmas Eve space or what, but um, I remember chatting then uh, just saying that everything was sort of in, <clears throat> everything was sort of in train for the market to continue lower uh, into the first quarter. Um, but I said at the time, if I'm wrong, I'm just all ultimately the market's going to go that much lower later on because, <clears throat> and you're and you're seeing that play out because back in December, economic data was starting to turn lower, or it, it was it was moving lower, and you saw Fed fund futures uh, coming down in line with that. And as we have seen, data for whatever reason, data has inflected in January. Credit card spending's up. Uh, that jobs report was a big inflection point. And I just think the, the bear case, while it looks, it looks obviously it looks dumb in January and into early February. Uh, I just think it's been, it's been bolstered this year. Um, we can go into that, but just, just with that as backdrop, I, I love Dave's relative strength stuff. I'm a huge relative strength guy. I think that's the only, that's the only way to look at that sector is really, um, and I would say that, so back in December, I think in that same space, we talked about the relative strength of the defensive sectors and those, those charts were, they looked, they looked really good, but they, right at the turn of the year, they turned down in line with this pickup in the economy. Um, but if you go back and look at how, how relative strength and the defensive sectors behaved in that early, in the early stages of the 2000 to 2002 bubble, <clears throat> you had, you had pullbacks of 10 to 13% relative to the S and P, <clears throat> excuse me. And that's exactly what we've seen year to date. So it's been, it's been painful for those of us who've been overweight, those sectors where appropriate, but, if you think a recession is needed to bring inflation down, uh, I think this is an this is an excellent spot uh, to add money to defensive sectors. Abs- absolutely, um, and I, I put out charts last week. I think on Tuesday you'll see them on my timeline of the XLU, XLP, and uh, XLV all breaking the relative strength. And I, I suggested the week before that you know the relative strength downtrends on those were just parabolic down. You know, <laughs> like. Like no one needs utilities or food or healthcare anymore. Exactly. You know, and so I, I look at those during periods like this, and when I see them go parabolic down, it makes me fearful that everyone's piling into what's working. You know, it's the yep. shiny object that over here. Let's not pay attention to that because it's not working. So at some point, you run out of selling pressure in those sectors, and you are seeing that, and that's that's what helped precipitated this little peak that we have. And if you look at how those sectors behaved into that 2000 peak, that was, that was parabolic down. That was a complete washout. Yeah. If you look, yeah, you're right. And you had those, you had staples, utilities, healthcare outperform the S and P by 80 to 120% depending on the sector into the, into their relative strength peaks in O2. We are, we're just getting going. 
with these things. And I, I think we're going to look back on January, February as a pretty epic time, just in awe. I think we're going to look back at, at it in awe. And yes, there's a ton of confusion out there. I work in the business. Everyone's confused. But if you look at the yield curve, the yield curve never confirmed this as a new bull market, still has yet to confirm. And you never got 90% of stocks over their 50-day moving average, which has marked the end of every single bear market going back to the 60s. So it's confusing, but if you can if you can look beyond zero DT option timeframes, it's pretty freaking bearish looking out six to 18 months, I would say. So, 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 so Dave, I know you're big on relative strength, yeah. but um, if you had to hallucinate or project or forecast a little bit, um, you, you started to talk about shades of 87. I mean, how would you handicap that? You think, I mean, it, it, put it this way, put it this way. It, it, I mean, I know you say it's a market of stocks, and if you want to take the fifth on this, that's fine. But if I always ask you, you know, at the end of the year, do you think the market's higher or lower than it is right now, Dave? I'm going to say by the end of the year, it's going to be flat. I think we're, we're stuck in a trading range right now, but I do think that we will complete the business cycle somewhere in the next six to seven months, and you're going to see some Fed cuts. If, if we're continuing on this trajectory, and it may be early next year, I do think that we have, um, I, I went to Costco. Here's just to throw this out. I went to Costco yesterday. You know, once in a while I pick up muffins. I have guests coming over to my house this weekend to go snowmobiling. And I was going to pick some up and I looked at the price and I just picked them up a month ago. They were $6.99. They're now $9.99. I'm like, really? 40% price increase, you know, or 30%? Like, I don't see prices coming down whatsoever um, on any needed goods like food. As I walk through the store, and I I like to just browse around the aisles, and I see a lot of the, um, you know, the the, the durables are all marked down, you know, uh, sale, you know, type of signs at Costco, but... I don't think that you have as strong of economy and I, and I see Neely's in here and I love chatting with her and I, and I posed this question in a, to her the other day in a, in a DM, you know, what, what, how much, you know, um, gift cards did we see sold during this, this last season? And I, I found it, you know, several different ones. And I'm going to, I guess I am, I'm in the camp that if you see restaurants up that much, but you don't see it in, you know, Home Depot, you know, I'm going to assume that, you know, gift card sales for restaurants were pretty high, especially when you see, you know, Walmart's numbers or um, Home Depot numbers. I, I, I'm just going to go with my gut and say, I think that's something that, you know, most people opted instead of getting something for someone get them a gift card for a restaurant or for a store. Um, you know, you look at Bath Body Works and Inner Perfumes, you know, it, hey, perfect, perfect Christmas gifts, right? Stocks have done very well. By the way, I, um, I, I but, see Neely is in the room. Uh, it was great the other day when yes. the two of you were speaking. If she has the bandwidth, it'd be great for her to come up uh, to, to share some wisdom. Carter, I want to come back to you in a minute, uh, but and Howard, uh, we'll get to you as well, but Neely, this would be a great place for you to weigh in on uh, dispense with some of your uh, consumer wisdom. Uh, good to see you. What's going on, Neely? Yeah, likewise. Uh, Nikoski and I have been talking a little bit about this gift card thing. And 
you know, we're going to agree on a lot of things about which state to live in, Mr. Nikoski. <clears throat> but uh, I actually think the bigger issue in January is the uh, cost of living increase for uh, being paid to the Social Security benefit payouts. You know, 66 million recipients currently receiving Social Security benefit payouts, the average increase, which is up 8.7%, translates to about $216 per month. And that is, that's just, it's not insignificant, you know, to those, um, those payouts, you know, overall. So, I mean, if you think about $216, that's, you know, I don't know, is that two, three trips to Olive Garden? I never go. I have no idea. Is that, you know, 10 trips to Chipotle? I mean, that's why I think we saw restaurants do what restaurants did in January. And that's going to be with us all year as a potential tailwind to consumption. Um, I think that it's going to get challenged, right, as it's going to abate quite a bit beginning um, handily with the SNAP benefits rolling over, the temporary increases rolling over in March 1. And that's going to affect, I think, like 44 million households. Um, and then you start getting into uh, the Medicaid access going away for another somewhere 14 to 17 million households where they were essentially getting free health care. Now they won't. And then you get into the summer student loans. You know, some people talk about the hot girl summer. I think it's going to be the, uh, you know, hot mess summer, right, uh, for a lot of student loan borrowers. Um, you've got SCOTUS listening to uh, the student loan arguments actually next week, Tuesday. They won't deliver their opinion, we believe, until June. But, you know, it's, 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 it's going down for real. So, Neely, I just posted up on the Nest a point that you had raised uh, the other day about the uh, uh, number of tax refunds. Uh, I thought that was a fascinating point. Uh, and I think for those that didn't hear you the other day, it bears uh, repeating um, that the total uh, number of refunds is just um, going through the roof and it's less to do, it, it has to, it, it just, I'll just paraphrase for you and let you have at it. But your tweet said total number of returns up 9%, total number of refunds up 48% total dollars are funded up 27%. So could you just elaborate on this a little bit, what's going on here? Because I thought it was a really brilliant point by yourself. Sure, thanks. Yeah, we do watch the, we think for about 15 weeks out of the year, out of 52, what matters more than rates or CPI is actually tax refund season. And we're in the thick of it right now. Um, we were only, uh, when I made that tweet, that we're only 18% into the tax filing season, we'll get an update on that data very likely tomorrow. Um, so, well, you know, that could narrow from the numbers that we, we posted there, just FYI. It's not me projecting, it's me responding to what the IRS data says. But, you know, it does bear worth noting that in the first couple of weeks of February, you had, you know, 50% higher, it was actually 48, you know, but 50% higher issued tax refunds. The average refund amount was down, um, just low double digits. But we think that largely has to do with just the mix of the refunds. There were probably people who owed a little bit last year who were refunded a little bit this year. And uh, that's, that's cash in people's pockets. We would expect retail sales with the cost of living increases as well as with some of these early tax refund um, statistics, we would expect that you're going to see kind of more uh, expansion in retail sales relative to expectations. But again, it, it changes dramatically come March 1 with the SNAP benefits rollover. So 
it's it's a schizophrenic. I mean, I just worked on a client deck. We're doing a keynote next week, George. And, you know, I've got this whole section I've never done before, ever, ever in 26 and a half years, where I literally walked through the economic realities of consumption by month this year. Like, I've never had to do that. Usually it's like one thing you can kind of call out and talk about and throw a couple charts about and talk about your consumer realities, but in thematics, but like, no, I literally have like a chart or like a slide for every month because that's how schizophrenic it's going to be for capacity that's, to spend that's crazy that, that, that that's really crazy so why don't you just hang there hang there neely i'm sure we'll have some more questions uh let's go to howard howard good to see you what's going on my friend hey george great space and uh david really really constructive um stuff and i, I actually this question might be uh for you and for uh neely we'll put it to two minnesotans um, you mentioned commercial real estate being pressured and we've seen, you know, it, it, this was small, but, uh, I think it was yesterday that PIMCO defaulted on, uh, a PIMCO subsidiary defaulted on, uh, loans on seven buildings in San Francisco, New York, and Boston. I think Jersey city was the other city. We're starting to see, um, hospitals unable to service, service their debt. I think the latest was. Uh, Tufts Medicine, but there have been a couple other majors. And I'm, I'm wondering both in commercial real estate, but also with corporate debt, you know, as the Fed pushes rates up a couple more percent or tries to, um, what we're looking at there. And Neely, you might uh, uh, have some insight into um, a lot of the uh, middle market debt and the EIDL question and so forth that you've been following. I'm just wondering... Um, if either of you have a, a particular view on how far this is going to go or, or your current read. Thanks very much. Go for it, Dave. Come on, Neil. I wanted you to go first so I could tag out you and adhere to something. I'm more than happy to have um, you go for Howard's yeah, always excellent you know, and difficult questions. Go for it. Right. Um, I, I think it's, it's bigger than the one headline. Um, you know, you, you've seen, you know, some of the, the BlackRock um, discussion, you know, a month and a half ago. It, it's kind of like the, the Credit Suisse thing. And I, I threw it up on my timeline when everyone was talking about, you know, the potential for Credit Suisse to, you know, uh, have problems. And I, you know, I, I tweeted out, you know, if this doesn't, you know, push clients away to check to see who their counterparty risk is, I don't know what would. I mean, literally... When you see headlines like that, everyone's going to remove themselves from having the, the counterparty risk. I was in a space um, a few months back, and so a portfolio manager was talking about how they bought, you know, insurance um, in case Lehman, you know, uh, fell apart. Except the, the the contract was with Bear Stearns. Now you got Bear Stearns as counterparty risk in case they fail. You know. So it becomes a house of cards. And, I, and I, I'm going to say if, if, if you're seeing something, you know, you're, you're, it's more than likely it, it just reached that point on those particular properties. And I think that's, that's going to be widespread. I know downtown Minneapolis, where my office is, you know, if I walk through this, we have the Skyway. So if anyone's been to Minneapolis, we have the tunnels that you can, you know, walk above the street. They're glass tunnels, go from building to building. I, I know, you know, four years ago I could walk through there and there's a restaurant, you know, four or five restaurants in every block. They're all gone. I mean, those buildings are empty, absolutely empty. 
So, uh, I, I, and I, you know, in discussing this in spaces, I hear it from other people too. You know, the, the, you know, work from home crowd is they're entranced, you know, they're entrenched in to try to work with their employer to work, you know, as many days at homes as they can. Um, you know, you avoid the commute. So I, I think that it's going to be an ongoing problem. Uh, again, I, I think, you know, based upon what the market action is and what commodities are doing, you know, we're not at levels that reflect a recession at this point in time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like I say, I think we have to complete that business cycle and, you know, every day you get more and more information and, it, it just seems to, you know, confirm that at some point we're going to hit a, having, a, you know, something a lever to break. Yeah, just one, one uh, anecdote uh, on, real, on real estate that I would offer up. I live in Westchester County in the New York City area. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, the excess of people uh, leaving the city, uh, coming out to Westchester, um, it's still making for, and this is one of the wealthier communities in Westchester County, there's virtually no inventory. Uh, and so you know, a lot of times you'll hear real estate agents say, oh, there's no, there's no inventory. If we had more to sell, we could do a lot more transactions. It sounds kind of self-serving. But I can tell you, uh, it's actually true. Stuff comes on the market now. The selling season kind of tends to start right after a Super Bowl weekend. I mean, it's unbelievable, the sort of pent-up demand. It's just even in this community, I guess, which is less credit sensitive because you know mortgage rates have gone up so much. There's just it's 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 it, there's still a steady excess of people le- leaving leaving the city, and I'm sure, Neely, um, demographic question for you. Um, I'm sure we've read all the same articles. You must have some thoughts about this, but you look at and you'll and you'll correct me on the numbers. You look at states like uh, New York, the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and you look at Illinois. Uh, and you look at the, 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 the loss of population, the, the, the gross income that's just walked out and gone to Texas, Florida, and elsewhere. I mean, we, so I know when we, we speak in aggregates, we talk about consumer spending, but when you look across regions, are there are there are there big differences in, in, in consumption patterns from state to state, Neely? There's always going to be differences, George. Um, I don't have anything specifically to add of value to that point. It's a it's a good point to have. Um, we're actually a little bit more in the near term team undecided to bearish because of the student loan issue. Uh, and, you know, if you it, it's astonishing to me, actually, how much I think FinTwit doesn't really appreciate how like the 40 million people who aren't paying on their student loans sincerely believe they will never have to pay again. And I, and that's the thing that scares the bejesus out of me Um, because I think it's very plausible that that's going to very much go into repayment. I mean, even the president himself has indicated that he is out of options uh, if it doesn't win in SCOTUS, right? They might have repayment plans that they can do, but you know, we're going back into repayment. So there's a couple of things that happen when that happens. Uh, you'll, there'll be a 60 day grace period after the announcement uh, is what the Supreme Court has indicated. And that is, uh, let's just play devil's advocates mid June. So you'll be in repayment by August. However, the payment processors will probably like have the 
send button ready to go, right? <laughs> because I haven't been paid for three years, right? I mean, they're ready to, to, to process these payments. Uh, and they'll make some indications about that. So the consumer's reality from the announcement to the um, notification, I think, will have its own economic kind of shock in, before you even get to the repayment. The other thing that goes into effect, and I think people don't really appreciate that, and you can see this in some of the New York Fed data around uh, credit scoring, is that credit scores like hyped up, they jumped up, and in part, uh, it's because all of a sudden 40 million households or 43 million households actually didn't have to show student loans as part of their credit reporting. And so that is also another concern that we have is, you know, all of this debt just all of a sudden goes back on to people's, uh, um, you know, credit reports and what have you. So will they have access to the same lending that they'll need, you know, at that time when they want to either buy best case scenario or when they need to refinance worst case scenario, I don't know, but to that, to, to gain a little bit more insight on the information flow, we did put up in the nest a couple things. One is the, uh, just a reminder that the quarterly banking profile, um, for the FDIC, it's an often overlooked report, uh, that will be out probably it's supposed to be out tomorrow. Uh, that would be post 55 days, um, after December 31, but, uh, maybe it's next week. I don't know. Some of these things have been a little bit more delayed, but that that's something to be watching for in terms of what's the health of banks, assets, and loans, you know, heading into that season as well. And Neil, can you just remind us, when is this student loan thing supposed to get sorted out? When, when's there supposed to be a SCOTUS decision? SCOTUS will hear arguments on Tuesday. Um, I believe you can actually dial in and listen to those arguments. Uh, if not, they'll be posted later that day. So you can listen to the arguments. Of course, no one but the nine are invited into chambers. So we actually don't know what's discussed, right? Only what's asked during those public arguments. Um, for what it's worth, there's already rumblings of making this a highly politicized event. I mean, I've seen some announcements out there that, like Elizabeth Warren is rallying people to start protesting on day of, um, you know, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of politician talk in the news cycle, I would suspect, on Tuesday. Um, the They then go, you know, and they deliberate, right? Uh, not necessarily the same day. They kind of work on these things throughout the, the session, the season. And then um, they put out the pronouncements typically uh, in June, and they pace them, you really don't know which day will release which announcement is how it works with um, SCOTUS. I think at the, off the top of my head, they have probably 8,000 plus cases that audition for their attention and they only listen to 80 to 100. This is one that's being heard on an emergency basis. So, um, you know, does that mean they'll be released on an earlier basis? I have no clue. I'm sure someone on Twitter knows so, this answer. But we'll get an answer on this. Right? June, very likely June. Okay, then implement it. And, and the betting is that this will this will not be extended. There, people have to start repaying. Yeah, mainly because the lower court has already ruled that it's unconstitutional um, to apply the Heroes Act for the forgiveness plan, and so it's not really SCOTUS deciding it per se. It's SCOTUS deciding is there standing again. I have this up in a, in a tweet. I'll put it up in the nest. Is there's two questions being posed? Like, is there standing? And then you know, is the and is the is the um, act to apply 
this hero's act to forgiveness. Um, I forget the, all the legal terms, but one of them is capricious. So, you know, is it, is it an overextend? Is it statutory? Do this, you know, is it capricious? Like there's some legal language around it, but I'll put it up in the mess. Thanks for that, Neely. Okay. With that, um, let's go to my friend O'Hare. We haven't spoken for a while. Good to see you, O'Hare. Uh, what's on your mind, man? How you been? Please unmute yourself, O'Hare. What's going on, guys? I'm uh, just sitting here on a treadmill listening to your conversation here. So I saw you requested for me to come up, and uh, I'm ready. Share, willing. share your wisdom. You've always got to <laughs> say what, but what. I mean, listen, it, it could be about anything. It could be, you know, the stock, a group, football, whatever yeah. you want. Just what, what, Well, what, largely what, I agree with what I'm hearing. Case. Yeah. Well, I, I would say I largely agree with what I'm hearing with uh, – David and Neely and yourself and some of the other guests. Uh, it is what I, when I say I agree. I, I think it's a very confusing market. Um, a lot of things going on. A lot of a lot of uh, opposing forces. So it's, it, even for pros like yourself, I mean, this is a very confusing uh, market. And uh, you know, if you're trying to trade this market, it's absolutely a, a gut wrencher. I mean, as you guys know, it's uh, it's like a washing machine, right? I mean, very difficult. So, however that said i think there's a lot of opportunities uh if you're looking in the right places i uh about a month ago i shared a dm with you george on some media names that i thought might be of you know interest to you and uh man i'll tell you i was hoping you'd uh, consider them because that would have really helped a little you know quite a bit i think there's still a lot of move in some of these names uh, i think energy still got uh you know Still got a lot, a long, long ways to go. I think there's still a lot of companies in the energy space that uh, just kind of are underneath the surface, overlooked, unloved. And uh, I think if you have a, a multi-year time frame, a lot of these companies are going to do quite well. You know, we don't need oil. I know there's been a lot of talk about oil going to 200 or oil going to 20. Uh, if oil can just stay here, you know, 80 to 100, 110, these companies, many of them are going to do very, very well. So I think the energy thing is still intact. You're going to have bumps along the way. Uh, returns aren't linear. Um, you know, as far as housing, I thought that was interesting with what you guys were talking about housing. I was in a space the other day. I was uh, listening to a couple of real estate experts talk about housing. And I met with a client a couple of weeks ago who's a very large real estate investor. And uh, I'm getting kind of opposing, you know, depending on who you talk to with real estate, it, you get different answers. And um, I always like to say, you know, I've never met a real estate agent or mortgage broker uh, that told me it wasn't a great time to buy, right? The market could be collapsing. It's a great time to buy. The market could be making you highs. It's a great time to buy. So I usually take it with a grain of salt. One thing I'd say about housing that's really weird right now is you're right. Uh, places where you live, George, places where I live, places many of us live, very nice areas. There's no supply on the market. So there's very little supply. Demand's still relatively robust. So prices are still elevated. The problem's going to be, in my mind, and I had this discussion the other day with somebody on Spaces, is that it's going to be on the margin. So there's this idea that housing isn't going to collapse. It can't collapse. It's uh, Everybody's got a 3% three, 3 mortgage 30 years out, and uh, they're going to stay put. I agree with that notion. But the problem is, it's the marginal buyer that's going to dictate prices. So it's the guy that's going to move down the street from you. He's not going to be able, you know, he may not want to buy for X. He may want to buy X minus 10%, X minus 
And so I think, you know, you're going to see the marginal buyer dictate price. And I think price is going to come a lot lower for, ver for the many reasons we discussed, higher interest rates. For one, lending standards are a lot tighter than they have ever been. Two, and, uh, you know, prices are still very, very elevated. I mean, even, you know, incomes have gone up, but prices are still way beyond where they should be uh, on a large, you know, not, regional markets are going to be regional markets. You know, if you're in Beverly Hills, you're in Westchester County, if you're in Marin County, you know, it's a different dynamic. But by and large, in most places around the country, I think you're going to see prices come down and it's going to be the marginal buyer kind of on the periphery that's going to drive those prices. So, you know, um, I still think real estate, you know, I mean, look at commercial properties. I don't know about New York. I haven't been to New York in a few, in a little bit here, but uh, in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, the West Coast. I mean, I have a lot of friends and family and clients that are in the real estate, commercial real estate market. And I'll tell you, it's, it's not good. You know, so I think David or Neely pointed out there's some, some defaults happening kind of underneath the surface. I think that's going to accelerate. So, look, I, 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 as you know, George, I want to be optimistic. I think there's going to be some opportunities. Uh, although I, I agree with the Bears to some extent, I think it's going to be, a, you know, kind of a, a rough sledding. So it's, it's just a very strange market. It's, uh, I don't expect a, you know, a, a, a gigantic air pocket. I think, uh, Everybody that's waiting for that, I think they're going to be, they're probably going to be surprised that that's not going to happen. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't be down 20% at the end of the year. I mean, you know, uh, that could happen. Um, if that were to happen, I think there's still a lot of opportunities in very beaten down, undervalued sectors. And, uh, and then within the sectors, subsectors, a lot of companies are out there still generating a lot of cash flows, pay down debt, are positioned to do well even in a recession. You know, notwithstanding a you know a really deep prolonged, you know, so that's kind of my view. You know, here, you know, here, let me ask you this um, question, similar to what I asked uh, Dave Nikoski earlier, and that is, regardless of your view, um, how would you characterize, um, you know, the opportunity set right now? Is it is it is it wide? Is it narrow? And then, secondly, is your conviction level around your ideas? higher or lower than it usually is in other words a lot of time yep. you know, a lot of time there's a lot of wood the chop sometimes not so much wood the chop how would you characterize right. it now uh i would characterize the first uh, the first part of the question i would characterize as uh the opportunity set is uh, actually gotten big uh wider wider for us um uh mainly because you know now we're starting to see the uh, part of the market that we were not involved in for a long time mainly the tech uh, financials, some discretionary have started to kind of come down to levels that would, when we run our screens, we're starting to see based on the factors that we use, starting to see more of these companies that were well outside of our purview now starting to come into our screens that they're not ready yet, but I mean, they're starting to come into our screens. The first, maybe first and second uh, levels of our screening process. So I think the opportunity set is now getting a little bit wider. It was very narrow for a long time. It was very difficult as a value investor, as you know, um, and so it's in the last year, and I've been talking about this for well over a year now in, in spaces with you, George, there's, you know, the, the, the growth to value trade is happening. It's been happening for a year now. It's happening right before our very eyes. The problem is most people are focused on the shiny object. They're focused on the, that you guys mentioned NVIDIA's, you know, the, the car company that shall not be named. Some of these ETF strategies, I think, 
I've talked about this idea of passive investing for many years with clients and on spaces and on Twitter. And I think that this passive investment boom that we've had for well over, you know, 10 years, and it's really been over 20 years, but uh, 10 years really in earnest. I think that uh, those days are going to be behind us. I think people are going to, we're starting to see institutions, for example, uh, start to warm up to the idea of active again, which we haven't seen for a very long time. So, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, we want to be optimistic. I think, you know, I think this is what's going to happen in my mind. I mean, if the market does hit an air pocket and we do, let's say, go down, uh, the NASDAQ was down, what, 30% last year. S&P was down close to 20. The Russell Midcap Value, which is our index, was down 12. Uh, so, you know, if we get another follow-on sell going into this year, which would be unusual, right, back-to-back -back, uh, down years, but let's say that happens. Let's say you get the NASDAQ down another 15%, S&P down another 10 uh, there'll still be a lot of opportunities underneath the surface because the, 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 the markets, the indices are still very top heavy, right? You know, you got the Apples, the Googles, the Microsofts, uh, the NVIDIAs, you know, all that stuff is really, the, the indices are still very top heavy. You're starting to see some, uh, you're starting to see some uh, dispersion underneath, underneath uh, the water here, um, which is where the, the, the value is going to be created, as you know. Uh, so I, I, I want to be constructive. But I'm not a Pollyanna, you know. I think if we do get a, if we do get a, a pretty, pretty significant kind of a swoosh down, uh, it'll be a relative game. It'll be the relative game, meaning that, you know, value I think will outperform, even if it's down. So that's really. Uh, but on the on the converse, on the converse is, it, it, you know, if we do have a positive year, uh, in, we, we, in which case we, you know, we very well may. I mean, the economy is still, you know, I don't know where, where I am. I mean, it's still. To Neely's point, people are going out. I'm, I'm just telling you guys right now. I go to the movie theater. My wife and I just went to the mall. We drove up to Sacramento the other day. It's booming. It's literally people out and about, people shopping, people. Now, could that end? Absolutely, right? I mean, I remember George, and I think George, and, and, and David and Neely, you guys remember up until 2008, right? 2008, the spring of 08, things were still good, right? Everybody was still like, hey, it's okay. This housing thing's going to blow over. Bernanke was saying there's not going to be any issues. I mean, just literally six months before, you know, Armageddon, people were still very optimistic. So I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not, uh, I was born at night, but not last night. I'm not wet behind the ears. I, I understand that, you know, there could be some, some tough sledding ahead, but, but again, I'm not going to be positioned for that. I'm going to be positioned for uh, more of a, a relative game as opposed to an absolute game in this That's market right now. Very well said, O'Hare. Uh, if you can hang in there, that'd be great. I'm sure you probably get some questions here. Um, so that, that, that appreciate yeah, your wisdom. Yes. Yeah, so, so um, hey, uh, Rob, um, welcome. Good to see you. I haven't spoken to you for a while. Um, what's on your mind, Rob? You there? I'm there, George. We can got you. Hear you. Me? What's going on, man? Well, as somebody who spent most of the first 30 of the years of their life growing up in Westchester, I welcome you to the region if you just gotten there or if you've not i hope you're enjoying it as much as i did um funny i went to a i got in, fortunate enough to invite it to a i guess a sell-side dinner uh last week a strategy and macro firm and number one everybody there was as confused as a lot of people on this call are, are admitting to so it, it's pretty prevalent out there number two uh <laughs> 
The strategist and the salesperson that were at the dinner admitted that for the first time in their careers, which were in about 20 to 25 years, they were purchasing bonds. So uh, these things hit me earlier from the call. Uh, but one of the things the strategist said was sort of about, you know, this year lacks some sort of big bet for people to make in the market. And to me, big bets are always obvious in, in retrospect, unless you are the one who gets them right and are in early. But his point was last year, you know, your long energy, your short technology, your, your printing money, and, and you had a historic year. And it got me thinking. I think, you know, from where I look at things, where stocks are and where bonds are, they can't both be right. One of them's wrong. Um, and I guess where it always leads me back to is inflation. Um, I've really been digging this over the last one to two years to better understand it. And credit to, I think it was Peter Bukvar, I had a presentation of his from last year. And sort of for the decade leading into last year, we had a bifurcated inflation backdrop hmm. where you had goods were kind of at a zero to 1% CAGR on inflation. You know, you had the offshoring, the Chinese effect. Um, you know, you had cycles certainly with raw materials, whether it be oil or copper, but they were mean reverting over that phase. But under that, uh, under the covers there, you, you had services inflation that regularly was registering two to 3%. And uh, something that I came out of the, the COVID lockdown era thinking was being an analyst who, you know, looks at materials and things of that nature. I, I may have said before, you look at relative supply and demand and what is happening to the supply side. And I thought one of the big things that COVID did, especially for small businesses that are generally involved in the services economy, was wipe out a lot of supply. Of course, we saw some of the larger corporate entities do much better, Home Depot, Lowe's, but the, the small uh, hardware store may not have made it. So now you're coming back where people have the wherewithal from jobs and from other reasons to be able to spend. Uh, there's your, your sort of handoff to inflation where here's the irony. People who said inflation was transitory might have had it right in goods. <laughs> those, are, those are sort of mean reverting where you get to elasticities where if a good just gets too expensive and it's discretionary, that purchase will be deferred. The market will self-correct. But here we are in services. And I, I, it, Dave said something about restaurants and he was walking through town and saw it was empty. You would think, I, I pulled up the chart from the St. Louis Fed. I just Googled, you know, out of uh, outside of the home food inflation in the New York market. And I encourage you to look it up because all of a sudden, you know, there's a long-term trend certainly up, but it's pretty gradual. It's just hooked. Uh, not quite hockey stick, but it's accelerated. So my, my point bringing this all around is I think that the geniuses are going to be right about inflation being transitory. I just think they're going to be right about it being in goods, where I think services has taken the baton, and we're already seeing it. Uh, if you look at the data and you kind of pull it apart. So back to my thing, I think either the Fed's going to have to push rates higher or do something with the balance sheet to influence the long end. Uh, uh, so in that case, bonds are wrong. <laughs> uh, and certainly if that's the case, uh, you know, the, the, the stock market, which kind of has been underpinned by this belief of a pivot, uh, 
you know, so they can't both be right, in my opinion. So just wanted to share those thoughts. Thanks so much. That was really, really, really interesting. Um, yeah, that, no, that's, that, that, that's terrific. Um, all right, let's go to, um, let's go to Storm. Uh, Storm, welcome. What's on your mind? Storm, please unmute yourself. I don't know. Maybe you should. Uh, you might have to go go out and come back in because we we maybe you can hear us. We can't hear you. Say, say Rob, are you still there, Rob? Yeah. yeah so um, you mentioned that uh, you lived for a long time in the New York City area. Is that is that uh, is that still the case? No, I'm a fortunate resident of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Got it. Uh, and because yeah, I spent some time in Philly, are you in the Philly area by chance? Oh yeah, uh, forty-five minutes out uh, west, just a little out off the main line. And are there any uh, interesting? Uh, and what, are, the trends you were uh, citing, I presume those are local to uh, to your area. Um, is there anything particularly noteworthy about where you are that uh, others not living there might not fully appreciate? Oh boy, you put me on the spot. That's a good question. Um, no, but I'll give you another anecdote. Uh, and people were talking about offices being kind of challenged. Uh, I spoke to my insurance guy today. Uh, he's I, I moved to Pennsylvania from Maryland for a job relocation, but he's still down there in the sort of Baltimore County area. And uh, he's lucky enough to have an office up in the county and one in the city of Baltimore. Uh, he was working remotely from home today. Uh, he might go to his office in Hunt Valley, which is the suburb there once a week, but he hasn't been to his office in Baltimore in months. So um, that was another thing that brought up the there, there's an amount of jingle mail that's about to come in a different form. As you said, history never repeats, but it rhymes, whereas jingle mail post great financial crisis was residential. Hey, Rob, 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 maybe everyone in this room knows what jingle mail is. I don't. Yeah. Know. What, what are you referring to? Oh, I'm just the, the, the keys are going to be coming from from uh, commercial office, uh, not from residential this time. So um, and it leads you to sort of think of I didn't get into it. My insurance guy, he works for a large national firm, not publicly traded. But I remember at one point his uh, sell point to me about the stability of the dividends uh, because it's mutually owned. Very diversified investment portfolio, including real estate. <laughs> so it, it leaves me with a follow-up to speak to uh, my insurance company. And you know, when you think about that, where are pensions uh, invested? Where they thought for twenty to thirty years. Uh, look at REITs or even just uh, MBS, where the virtual cycle of you had rent increasing over time, and you had refinancing every several years of lowering the cost of debt those two lines seem likely to cross here at some point uh, the cmbs market seems challenged from some of the things recently i've said about refinancing and uh as far as the ability to get rent uh, in the office side of the business uh, that clearly is going to be a challenge even to maintain vacancy if something doesn't change for the for the different uh, from the, the recent trends i was just reading new Sorry, go ahead. No, just that New York City, uh, they might be back to 50%. People are in the office. Uh, nice little nugget came out that the city itself in economic activity has lost 
twelve billion dollars. Uh, I believe it was just last year in economic activity from the the difference in pre-COVID uh, office uh, activity or at least uh, presence versus now with the uh, work from home disparity. And also, George, you know, no secret, New York is certainly losing businesses. Uh, it's it's just a very easy decision to move to a different locale given differences in taxes, differences in cost of living. And the great thing about technology and things like Zoom or uh, uh, or Microsoft, you know, you can do business from, from many different places in the country uh, with ease of, of push of a button uh, versus needing necessarily face-to-face -face contact these days. Yeah, you just saw California came out with their budget deficit of $22 billion. They saw $10 billion less in tax receipts. So if, if that's not pointing to something that's troublesome about, you know, the movement of people out of, you know, New York, California, um, some of those states to Texas and Florida. So kind of interesting. I was just going to weigh in on one little point here on the real estate side. We are hearing and seeing of these conversations because, you know, I think some people are like, everything's clear, right? And it's like, no, 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 leases aren't up yet, <laughs> right? So, like, as leases come due on these commercial properties, it's our sense that a whole host of things are being contemplated from physical space needs uh, as well as from a human capital needs. I mean, it's interesting you brought up that point around services broadly, Rob, because I think you're right. I think it's been sticky. And I think people forget that CFOs manage to dollars. They don't manage to headcount. And I think there's all sorts of things being discussed around task flow automations. Uh, you know, I'm not an NVIDIA apologist. I'm not trying to, you know, jump on that train per se. But the topic of AI is in boardrooms. And boards are who make the decisions about headcounts. And I think that's the thing that might be missed is, yeah, the jobs seems pretty stable right now, but what's going to happen as people rethink their spaces, they rethink their task flows, they rethink their needs from a human capital perspective. I think you're, you're going you're gonna to see this kind of drip, drip, drip of attrition. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Storm, you're back. Can you hear us, my friend? Yeah, I apologize. A phone call came in and, and uh, messed up my audio. I had a question for the respectable uh, speaker panel. Uh, what happened in Ohio, North for, Northwoods, uh, Southern, ticker NSC, um, and, and what their thoughts were. That, that was my question. I don't know that we have, we, I don't know we have any railroad experts up here, but uh, I'm sure Dave can speak to uh, the NSC chart as well as the railroad group. Dave? Yeah, you know, the chart, the chart's not good looking, but I will say railroads are not going anywhere. We're still going to use them. You know, there's, if you look back over the course of, I think it's like 20 years, you know, you have 1,704 derailments on average. I think the last 10 years, it's been like a thousand. So, you know, it's, it's normal and we're just seeing all of this and everyone gets worked up. What I will say is, yeah, they'll probably end up spending a lot of money to clean this up. But do you know what, in the end? They're going to spend more money to fix everything and try to make things safer, but they just pass that on. This is like, I always tell people, you know, you buy insurance companies a month after a storm. I mean, after 9-11, we published a piece of market was closed for, you know, a period of like six days. 
We said, wait two weeks by the insurance companies, because guess what? They jack their rates up for everyone. And you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see them start to charge more, because I can tell you right now, rails are by far actually safer than trucks on the road. Okay. And so at the end of this, it's to me, it's an opportunity. I don't think rails are going to stop shipping anything. You know, we canceled pipelines to ship oil by rails, you know, and the government's not going to backtrack on it or this administration. So I, I think it's like something that you get an opportunity to enter a good company at a reasonable price. And it's sad what happened. It's sad what's going on. I realize that I'm not trying to, you know, make this all about money and the, you know, the, the concerns of the health of people. Um, on another note, you know, I was talking about engineering and construction. I'm going through charts right now while we were talking. And, you know, one of the names that I've mentioned in a number of rooms has been MCOR. I mean, it was up 10.6% today, up $15.58. All of the other engineering and construction companies are doing the same thing. This might be that, you know, outsourcing, you're moving companies out of China into Indonesia, India. You know, I think these a lot of these companies have some international business as well as moving things to onshoring, which is going to take a lot of capital to, you know, build a plant to reduce the dependency in the future. So you're, you're going to, you know, you're seeing companies, uh, you know, even going to Mexico, but MCOR, MYRG, um, there's a lot within the, you know, the area and in industrial manufacturing for electrical, plumbing, water systems that are absolutely going bonkers and no one's paying attention to them. So, by the way, um, Dave's very modest, but for those of you, and he's, he's so generous with his time and his insights, for those that are interested, uh, Dave's from Vermilion Research, um, you know, they, they serve... Uh, you know, some of the biggest institutions in the country, as well as uh, I believe, Dave, you've got a, you've got a, you have some individual investors as well as clients. And so I'm sure if um, anyone's interested, please reach out to Dave. He's on Twitter. Also, it's, is it vermilionresearch.com, Dave? Is that, is that what people can find? It's ver- vermilioncap.com is our website. You can vermilioncap.com with, with, with one L, vermilioncap.com. That's terrific. And, and again, the thing I like about Dave's work, he's mentioned many times, He's a big relative strength guy. So, um, you know, relative strength and the uh, leadership of the market can always tell you a lot about what's what, what, about what's, what's really going on inside the market. But one, one, one last question, Dave, I was going to have for you. Um, we've talked about this in the past, but we haven't touched on it in this space. When you look at the U.S. market uh, compared to uh, other markets globally, because I know you follow uh, all the glo- major global markets, any, any, any observations uh, or does it really get down to uh, – you know, sectors and stocks. Yeah. I mean, believe it or not, Europe is doing absolutely fine and doing better than the U.S. The EFA, uh, MSCI EFA index is, is, you know, looks much better and is outperforming on a relative basis versus, you know, a lot of the emerging countries. We still like emerging countries, but it's, you know, picking them one by one. Um, and, you know, at this point, you know, I, I do believe they made their ultimate bottoms and are coming off of, you know, what I would say are secular lows. Um, I do believe the dollar is probably going to strengthen a little, you know, marginally um, could retrace up to 50% of this latest move, which wouldn't be good for our markets, wouldn't be good for their markets. But in the end, I, I do think there's a secular turn to, you know, emerging markets. You're breaking 12, 13 year relative strength downtrends. That's, you know, the longer the downtrend that's being violated, the more significant it is. So 
Um, you know, I'm still looking at Korea. Korea's pulled back nicely to an area which I think looks very good. Um, and there, you know, there's a few other ones um, that we're actually publishing right now. So I don't have all the info sitting in front of me as I sit, as my coworkers are uh, helping produce that right now. Terrific. All right. Uh, we've been going at it for an hour and 45 minutes. This has been great, Dave. I want to thank you for uh, all your insights and being so generous with your time. Neely, O'Hare, Michael, Rob, uh, everyone who's been in this space this has been great. Uh, we'll do our next space before too long. And again, thank you, Dave, so much for doing this. And it goes without saying, everyone really appreciates uh, all, all that you do. Th- thank you. Dave. Yeah. Thank you, Neely and O'Hare. And you too, George. You have an awesome day and a great weekend. Okay. Take care. Good night, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.